This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to episode 112. My name is Carl Valeri, and I am here with Paul Greco. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Hey, Carl. I uh, actually, Paul's kind of tired. He's been flying all day in weather. Oh uh, yes. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm tired. Yeah, I'm sure. But I'm happy are. to be here. Yes, it's awesome to be here. Yeah, hey, listen, great. Paul. We've got a lot of questions uh, still left over uh, from readers from the last episode, so we need to start getting through some of these. Uh, we were going to talk a little bit about upgrading, and uh, just want to say we have some interviews coming up. One really cool interview we have. It's uh, actually, I tell you what, it's part of the, one of the questions in here, uh, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, uh, but first of all, a couple of things. Uh, number one, I've been getting a lot of requests for coaching services and wondering what our coaching services are. I probably didn't spell it out well enough maybe on the website, but in our coaching services, we include not just career coaching and counseling and, and determining what the best path is for your career, whether to, to do this or any other uh, aspect of aviation or anything for that matter, uh, be a flight attendant, a pilot, a mechanic, etc. But also, we do interview preparation for many different airlines and for many different types of jobs. Uh, as I said before, I've been in the consulting business and have done quite a few interviews in the past and prepared people for interviews. Uh, the one thing that we do is we have a pool of questions that uh, we ask that are from many different resources, and uh, we go through those. Why do you hire a coach? Number one, to help you make decisions, also to help you move forward in your career, but also how, why do you hire somebody to get ready for an interview? It's not because you don't know the questions. Most of us know the questions for the interviews. It's to practice and get feedback. And we give you feedback and we move forward. We've had a 100% success rate so far with jobs and people getting jobs after the interview. We do all sorts of things all over the world. So if you want to get ready for an interview, just let us know. We'll get you prepared. Part of that service, by the way, is you send us your resume and a cover letter and your first coaching session. We go over that cover letter and resume. Normally, I have somebody else that does the resume cover letter. They'll mark it up if you send it to me, and I usually what I'll do is I'll um, uh, copy that on my scanner and fax it back to or Excuse me, I'll, I'll uh, mail the PDF file to you with all the comments on it, but we will go over that in your coaching session. So I've been getting a lot of questions about that. Been uh, doing a, uh, And anybody that's doing the In the Coaching Services program right now, uh, remember you just go to the Coaching tab. If you want to add another hour to your coaching, you can. Uh, you also have access to the calendar that's within there to schedule your coaching time, etc. So I've been getting a lot of questions there. I just want to quickly uh, ramp that up and, and talk a little bit about that. Also, the, the scholarships guide, we have a few questions about that. And it was a really good question came in about uh, whether uh, you have to become a member to get the scholarships guide. No, you can uh, purchase membership for $10 for just one month access or $100 for a full year. What that gives you is all the other courses that are in there. Plus, whenever the, the actual online scholarships guide is updated, you get the immediate uh, updated scholarships guide. But with that said, you can buy the scholarships guide on um Amazon or as a downloadable PDF for now for this year. And also it's going to be in uh, iBooks. We're just finishing that up right now. 
And what we do is we actually put the new version out there. And when that new version is out there, we send an email to you. Uh, make sure you sign up for the emails. And then you can actually download that book one more time. So you physically have to go out there, re-download the book, and it has the newest version. And we'll let you know. Try to update it about once every you know four to six months. Uh, there's so many new scholarships coming in. But again, the most immediate, uh, the newest scholarships would be through the membership. Of course, you get the you know Practical Guide to Winter Flying, and you get all those other courses, and the Pilot Jobs book and some of the other uh, technical courses. Speaking of technical courses, I know we mentioned this before, the uh, Advanced Holding Patterns video. Uh, there just went on sale at expertaviator.com, uh, one of our other sites, and it's a 50% off. Uh, all you have to do is put in the coupon code SUMMER. And uh, by the way, the first video is free, so go check that out. It's a nice little primer, number one video. Talks about uh, holding patterns. Really well done with, uh, with Chris Pazala, and it's based on his book, advanced guide to holding patterns. If you're interested in the book, you can find it there also. All right, now that we've had all that uh, cleaned up as far as administration, if you want to uh, have a question, remember feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com, or you can go out and you can go online and hit contact, and that's all you need to do, and you can find me. Another thing I've been doing, by the way, too, is I've been putting out there uh, – pictures, aviation pictures, places I fly, more so on my personal Facebook page. I'm finding because I'm involved in so many different social media uh, projects, especially just put it on my personal page. If you want to follow me, just go there and follow me at Facebook uh, slash Carl Valeri. That's the easiest way to find me. Uh, anyway, let's move on to the questions. You ready, Paul? Yeah, let's get going. Cool. All right, let's go with the first question. Uh, it says, hey, Carl, I'd like to know if you or your guests have any experience owning an airplane? Well, I, I do, actually. Uh, here's my situation. I'm 30 years old, and I'm interested in an aviation career, but I have zero logged hours. My brother, who I'm close to, recently got a CFI and is working as a flight instructor in a different location. I've been flying with him several times during his training and know a little bit about the training process from talking to him over the years. Here's my question. I've got some money saved up, about 35000 and I'm looking at the cheapest way to get flight hours and advance in my aviation career. Would it make sense to buy a cheaper trainer aircraft as an easy way to start a, a business and employ my brother to train me, as well as others to offset the cost of expensive flight hours? Obviously, there are expenses like fuel, maintenance, insurance, and storage fees. But given all that it still looks cheaper in the long run, as long as something major doesn't break. Also, once I get up to level CFI, I basically own my own business training others or doing other commercial work. I know most people that buy airplanes have a lot of money and lots of flight time, but I don't have much of either. Would a big decision like this make sense for me, or am I better off paying a flight school and assuming none of that risk? Thanks. Love your podcast. Well, great question, okay? And I'm going to answer this a, a couple different ways. Uh, yes and no as far as owning the aircraft. You can go that route uh, if you want to be an aircraft owner and you are really interested in having an airplane even after the point where you get hired and get to the job and the location that you want to be at. Well, you know what? you're going to find that you may not have the time to actually run around and maintain the aircraft. So what do I say in that case? You know, another really cool idea is get involved with a flight club, a partnership, that type of thing. Uh, the I, I've actually made money on owning my own airplane. I've had two. I've had a club. I was in a club. And also, at the same time, I was a partner in a 182. Well, the partnership in the 182, 
I actually made money because people needed flight reviews, etc. And I would actually use that plane because they were co-owners to do those that type of training. And then somebody else would get an instrument rating. And since I was at the airport, I would get other jobs, uh, flight instructing. Not too much cost to me, but the cheapest way to do it was joining the flight club because now I have a really tight-knit group of people that I can go towards and market towards and fly with. So actually owning an airplane, I will say this. I've had a lot of friends that I've worked with that have owned airplanes to build time. Uh, it depends on your personality because when you get to, say, an airline, you don't want to have to worry about maintaining an airplane. You want to concentrate on building your hours because, you know, Paul, you don't really have a lot of time to spare when you get, first get started with an airline, do you? No, that's for sure. Uh, your, your schedule is quite busy. Um, but it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting proposition. And I know of a couple of people, actually, I know several people have who have gone this route and um, bought their own airplane, many different kinds, whether it was a Cessna 152 or a Cessna 172. I actually have a friend right now who's building time in a 172 he just bought uh, three months ago. And it's, it's turning out, it's working out very well for him. Um, it's worked out well for the people that, that I know that have done it. Um, and there was a cost savings there, but there are other ways, like Carl said, um, to sort of accomplish the same thing. And it might not be as cost effective, but you assume less risk, like the flying club as an example, which I was a member of a flying club. That's how I built my time. I didn't have the, the initial capital to buy an airplane. I thought about doing it. I just couldn't afford to do it. Um, so yeah, I joined the flying club and you know, it, it, it proved to work well for me. Um, it was a little more expensive, I think in the long run, but, uh, I didn't have the headache of having to either keep the airplane, maintain it, lease it out to somebody, um, or, you know, uh, sell it frankly. So the people that I know that have done it have gone very different in you know different directions some have kept the planes some have traded up to bigger planes and some have just outright sold them so it, it was kind of was a it's a very personal decision and you can go uh you can go any way with it but i i think it's a good idea if, if you can make it happen and, and frankly if you have say an extra a few hundred thousand extra in the bank uh, that you have as a buffer, then yeah, you can do anything you want. Uh, I'm not sure there's a lot of folks that are in that situation. You know, I do know a few and, uh, you know, the $35,000, you know, buying a, and you can buy an airplane for that much and build hours, uh, then sell it. If you, as long as you can financially, uh, carry that aircraft, you know, like in the rental home business, here's a carrying cost. Of course, I'm a landlord, so I'm saying that. But you have always have costs, even if that thing sits there. If the house sits there, there's always right. costs, and that's the thing you have to worry about. I will, I will, and I don't want to scare people off from this, but I will tell you my experience is uh, I was a partner in an airplane. Right after I sold my share in the aircraft, it had a prop strike, and uh, I think it was a total of about $28,000 of repairs, uh, and that comes out of the pockets of the partners. You are the partner. You're the one, so that could actually be an expensive repair. A $35,000 airplane can wind up having 
ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars of repairs. So just remember that uh, when you're actually have your own airplane. Uh, with that said, there's the other side of it too. It's a lot of fun. Uh, if you want to be an aircraft owner, so you have to look at it, you know, internally. Do I want to deal with this? Do I want the hassles of it? You're, and you just said you had a unique situation when you have a brother you can employ. You could start your own flight school business. Uh, you could actually take that aircraft and put it on lease back later on. So there's many, many different options, things to think about. And I hope that, that we've, we've brought together a few of those options. There's a lot of folks out there that write into me and say, Hey, I think it's a great idea to own an aircraft. So, uh, there are people that do it and they do it successfully and they build a lot of time and they actually make money when they sell airplanes so there's positives and their negatives so re- make sure you, you remember that you know it's a it's a good idea if if you want to be an aircraft owner and be in that business uh you know and i i'm actually out of an airplane now i'm between airplanes as i say and i'm uh, itching to get another one it is it's a wonderful thing just to walk outside start up the plane and go and not have to worry about anything else um so that's uh, hopefully that's answered your question and it's given you food for thought. Uh, there's a lot to look out. Put the pluses and minuses down on a piece of paper and then go forward. Thanks for that question. Moving on to the next one. Uh, says, hey, I first want to say I really enjoy the podcast. Been listening for only a couple of weeks, but has been a really helpful and is trying to make a decision whether or not to do aviation. Hmm, interesting. I have a couple of questions, but they are somewhat related. How does slash can the schedule of an airline pilot change over time? I've heard that four days or three days off is pretty normal, especially for the first few years. Is this how it always is as an airline pilot? Is there better options, i.e. any possibility of getting more consecutive days at home? If so, how long does it take to get to the point in your career? Uh, I'm gonna we're gonna start answering that one because you got a couple other cool questions. Uh, the uh, the schedule in airline uh, changes every month, okay? So and it and it changes based on seasonality and the demands of the airline, the growth, the the, the contraction, etc. Uh, normally, a lot of airlines have four day trips, but there are people that like to do one day trips where they're home every single night. I know people that work every single day of the month because they want to and they want to make extra money. And uh, you're probably thinking, well, that's impossible because there's flight time limits. What those people do is they volunteer for reserve time. Uh, I'm talking to you today and tomorrow, which is a uh, a Friday. This is a Thursday we're recording this. And I may sign up for a reserve day. And what that does for me, it enables me to make extra money at time and a half at where I work. Uh, there's also what you talked about. I think you alluded to the first few years uh, as far as your schedule. Yeah, your schedules aren't that great in the beginning, but if there's a lot of movement in your airline, and depending on how that airline is put together and their contracts, then you may have a good schedule right off the bat, a decent schedule. It always gets better with seniority. Seniority is everything. Uh, you get the first choice at the schedule. If you're number one on the seniority list, you get the first choice. I personally have a great schedule. I do, I actually work weekends, uh, because, you know, that's the way my life is, that I prefer to work on weekends. Uh, the only downside to working on the weekends is that it's hard to get extra trips because that's when people call in sick, et cetera. The extra flying usually on the weekends because people leave on Friday, come back on Monday. So, uh, I don't have that opportunity to make extra money, but, but, I do have a great schedule, and they also have that week off that we were talking about. Do you have a, the ability to do a string of days off? Yes. For instance, I'm currently, uh, I have, let's see, 14, 16 days off, uh, right now in a row. 
Okay, that's not for the whole month. That's in a row. I have 19 or 20 for the whole month, which is pretty good. So yes, you can build your schedule as you get more seniority to get that many day, those many, that many days off in a row. I am able to do that. I always take one week in a row off. And what that enables me to do is to do a lot of the podcasting. It also allows people to jump in my schedule for the coaching and that type of thing. So I just do that because I, I want to be available for people. So yes, you can do that, but that's the way it does. It, the schedules always, always change. Um, the, and your next question is interesting. I should have read that one. It says, uh, I know that if you want weekends off, you need to have enough seniority to bid that. I'm curious, how long does it take uh, to get where you can have consecutive days off, weekends off, if if I so choose to bid them? Well, that depends, again, on the airline. Uh, it took me just uh, six months. Uh, some guys, it's taken six years, and some people still aren't there after many, many years <laughs> being there. You know, it's, it all, all depends. I know um, uh, Paul's a good example of somebody who – has decided to go to the more junior route, I guess you could say, and and bid a different schedule uh, for a specific month. Uh, some people, what they do is there's reserve and there's regular scheduled lines. Reserve lines usually go junior, and if you want the weekends off, you may have to bid reserve. Reserve kind of stinks for most people. I don't mind it too, too much if I'm close to, to the base. Uh, like when I'm in New York, I have family there I can hang out. Um, but when you're on reserve, you're on call, and you've got to go in. Some reserve rules are better than others. Paul, I'm, uh, you've had a little bit of experience with that, and I'm not sure yours yours is a little bit tougher. Yeah. A lot tougher, I should say. It's a lot than tougher. My, than my, my reserve and most reserves out there. It is. Yeah, our reserve is a little tougher um, because there really are no reserve rules at our place. But, uh, you know, that's it, he's asking good questions, but they're hard questions to answer because at the senior, you build seniority at every airline at a different rate. And that's essentially all, all it's based on. So at my airline right now, um, I think guys that were, we're starting to get a little bit more padded on the bottom of the seniority list in terms of having uh, reserve captains and FOs. But, um, over the last probably six months to a year, we were super short staffed. And as a result of that, new hires were coming in and they weren't having to sit reserve and they were getting a schedule. And that alone changes your quality of life immensely because when you get off reserve and you know you have a schedule, you know what days you're working, you know where you're going, you're not dealing with the scheduling department all the time. It just makes life really good. Um, so that's the first thing. Uh, good meaning easy. Good meaning better. <laughs> yeah, better. I wouldn't say easy, but definitely a lot better. Yeah. Um, you know, but then uh, in terms of weekends off, you know, I would say, at least at our place, halfway up the seniority list, you can probably start to hold weekends off. That happens really, really quickly on the FO side because of all the movement that we have going on. Um, so in probably four to six months, you can start thinking about having some weekends off and getting some, you know, better time trips. The other, the other thing that sort of controls how many days off a month you get is the ability to bid for more efficient high time trips. So the more, the more hours you work in a given day, uh, the less days you have to work in a month. So when you're junior and you get sort of, you know, bad trips from a from an efficiency standpoint and a and a time standpoint you have to work more days of the month to meet your minimum guarantee so every airline is required to work a minimum number of hours um 
for the month, and that and that number varies by by the airline, and sometimes it varies by the month based on the needs of the company. So um, when you meet those, when you meet that number, your your schedule's made. And so if you can meet that number in less uh, in less days because you're bidding more efficiently, then you'll you'll have more days off. And so like right now, I think this month I had either 17 or 18 days off. Um, but I'm bidding in the top probably, uh, I don't know, I'm like number five or six in my base right now. So I'm super senior. If I bid an FO schedule, um, if I bid a captain schedule, I'm fish food. Right. right. I'm fish, I'm fish poop. Yeah, fish poop. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's really, it's, oh, and another interesting point was uh, last Christmas, I wanted to have off to spend time with the kids and the family. And so... I interestingly enough, uh, even though I was towards the top of the list, couldn't hold Christmas off with a line, but I could hold it off with if I bid reserve. So I went on reserve uh, for the month of December after not having had to work reserve for like the previous eight months or nine months or something. And uh, and I did that to get a specific day off. So there's all kinds of things that you can do. And I think you mentioned that with, you know, bidding reserves to get weekends off if you so needed that, um, you know. And so you can do that not just for weekends, but for specific days like holidays that you might want to have off. And, and what's interesting is if you notice he's using an example, I'm using an example. This is the same throughout the industry. We're just using examples of what we do. But, you know, I've been actually through five different airlines and five different bidding processes. And, and they're all different, but they're all very similar. There are certain things that are better under certain contracts. It all depends on the contract and the employment contract with that airline or the union contract, what what the bidding's like and, and how things are distributed uh, but also, it depends on, on the season, too. Uh, I normally take off time when the slow season, uh, you know, October, September, that type of thing. Uh, and that leads to the next question he has is, how much vacation time does a pilot get, and how does slash can that change over time of seniority? And again, that depends on the airline. It's all different, but uh, usually a lot of people get, you know, one or two weeks in their first year, possibly. Uh, some airlines, you don't get any. Uh, vacation till after the first year that that's happened to me a few times and and then after that you uh you build up seniority you build up vacation time uh and i think that's that's really really important to realize is that you know this is something that we need to look at is how do i build my time up on this how do i you know how do how am i able to bid vacation a good example is i basically had six months off a year uh when i was bidding vacations and time off etc uh, just uh, throughout the year. So I basically worked six months off. And now what does that mean? I worked about 180 hours in a year. So I know we're taking a little time on this one, but this is some really good stuff uh, and interesting. So uh, I do want to kind of, I did want to do a whole episode on this. So I don't mind taking a few more, a uh, little bit more time on this. But uh, uh, one of the things that I, I wanted to say too, is that we were going to do a whole episode on how bidding for a flight works. But just remember this, uh, that there's there's many different options when you're when you bid for your you bid for your base and your position in other words your first officer or your captain you bid for your equipment your base and position so if I bid for say the Embraer 145 and I'm a, a captain in say Newark and I hold that position so I will do all my flights as a captain starting out of Newark on the Embraer 145. Say I bid the ATR, 
a turboprop out of Newark as a first officer, I would do all my trips as a first officer out of Newark, and that's where it would start. So there's there's a lot of options as far as bidding, but those those bids, and we a lot of people call them different things. They call them system bids, permanent bids, uh, where you bid your equipment and your base. Some airlines do it every three months. Some airlines do it every six months. What does that mean? You can change your your base or change your position in, within you know every three to six months. The only caution is that when you do change to a different equipment, normally because the airlines put so much money into training you, you can't move out of that equipment uh, for usually up to a year to two years before you can move on. Uh, so that's really important. And remember, bidding is based on seniority. So you put your bid in. Uh, a lot of times they display the actual trips before for the month, uh, the next month, and then you just bid those trips and you bid what you want. If you're number one, you get everything that you want. So uh so that that's the thing. I mean, as you build up seniority, you can decide what you want to do and uh, it's really Im- important uh that you bid what you want, okay, not what you think you can get. Uh and it's really and and I kind of I stress this a lot and I'm glad you brought this up. Always bid what you want, not what you think you can get. So uh so that's all about seniority too. Everything's about seniority. And also personally, for me, I can actually I can hold captain's say right now, but I decide not to because I get this incredible quality of life, lots of days off. If I bid captain right now, I'm gonna be flying in the middle of the night, never see the, the light of day for probably another year or so. So that's that's because I'll be at the bottom of the list getting the worst trips, whereas I'm at the top of the list as a first officer. So hopefully that that helps you out there. Uh, says here says I uh, he he goes on to ask a couple of questions. Uh, uh, it's like about time building, etc. But uh, mainly the most important thing to remember out of all this is that seniority is king. It really is. Uh, he continues in his uh, in his um, um, questions and says, you know, he'd like to know a mock bidding process. We might do that. You know, maybe do a you know show that online, but uh, it's really that simple. Uh, but I'll I'll do I'll try to get a couple pictures and then show that to you. I think we did uh, I did a video a while ago about this, and I'll try to put that back out there. Uh, anyway, he continues. I apologize if any of this info has been covered in previous podcasts. If so, feel free to direct me to them, and I'd be happy to listen to them. Or if there are articles you can point me to and answer these questions, so you don't have to write it all. That works too. By the way, uh, Flight Training Magazine has some good stuff too. Uh, you can find that at AOPA's website. So there's some good stuff there. Uh, thanks, thank you so much for your time. I imagine you have a lot of emails to go through. I just want to put in a request. I'm trying to make this decision by the start of class in fall semester, uh, end of August. So it would mean a lot if you were able to respond in time for me to do the necessary research to process what I learned from you. Thanks for doing what you do and for all the people that you help. God bless. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate that. That was, that was an awesome question. Well, Paul, I think we, we, uh, we hammered that one in. Uh, we could talk forever about bidding. Yeah, that, you could do like multiple shows on that topic. That's a really, really lengthy topic. Yeah, and and I'm glad you brought it up because I I love talking about that. As a matter of fact, just to give you an idea, uh, where I work, they actually have a class on bidding, and you can come in, and it's usually about uh, two hours long, just to give you an idea of how complex it is. And then it takes a few years to master it. It really oh, does. Yeah. It, it does. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, moving on to the next question, it says, Hello, team. Uh, I love your podcast and the wonderful work you do for the aspiring pilot community and for those of us who actively work in aviation. My question for you is, am I better off continuing to fly as a King Air captain and fly to a major airline with a 1,000 hours of multi-engine turbine PIC in a year from now, or should I go to a regional bill 121 time 
then it tried to apply to a major a year or two down the road. The pay where I work would be substantially better than a regional, so I'm unsure whether I should make the jump to the regional at this point. What are your thoughts? Thank you in advance. Let me understand this. You're going to get a thousand hours of PIC time in a year from now. I would, I'd, I'd make sure that that's true. First of all, I, I'm not questioning whether it's true. I'm just saying, make sure that this is this is really the position that you're being offered, uh, and and you're actively working in that position because that's that's quite a bit. And if you can get a thousand hours of multi-engine turbine PIC, I would go for it. Uh, that is so important. As a matter of fact, if you're worried about jet time because you have turboprop time as opposed to jet time, uh, it's real simple. If you can get your 1,000 hours of, of multi-PIC and then, say, go to a regional, you now have your turbine, or excuse me, your turbojet time when you go to a regional flying a regional jet. By the way, if you do go to a regional with 121 time, uh, that does mean something, but you don't have to be there for very long to build that 121 time. Uh, for instance, uh, there's some guys that I uh, work with that come out of the military and they haven't flown in five years in the military. The first thing I tell them to do is go to a regional, get some 121 time. Many times what happens within a few months, they're hired by a major. So definitely build up that time. Uh, Paul actually is a good example. You're doing uh, some building of your thousand hours. I understand it's 121 time, but uh, it's in a tur- it's you know multi-engine turbine. Uh, it's not turbojet, but of course you can have that opportunity later. Yeah, uh, I'm doing. Uh, I'm getting. I'm getting that time now. I guess the only question I'd have here is, is it 135 time or is it part 91? Um, I don't. I don't necessarily think that it would matter. A thousand thousand turbine PIC is pretty. You know, that's pretty good time if you can do it. Um, but uh, I, I think that the airlines like to see. Um, work in a two-pilot crew. I don't know if that's a single pilot. I don't, it depends on the King Air, I think. But some of the King Airs, are, I know, are uh, certified for single-pilot operations. So I think a lot of the airlines like to see uh, work in a two-pilot crew, in a crew environment, because uh, we all know how important crew resource management is um, today. And so uh, they want to know that you can work with another guy um, in the flight deck. So I think that's, I think that's something that's really important, but you know, getting a thousand, thousand hours PIC in a, in a turbine aircraft. I think if you could do it in a year, if you really could do it in a year, I would, I would think, I think that'd be pretty good. And then, then you can go to a regional and, and, you know, get the one twenty one time, get a recent training event, get some, uh, you know, two, two pilot crew experience and, and move on. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I've heard this more than once, guys getting out of uh, IOE or initial operating experience with a 121 operator and a regional and then going right to the majors. It's it's pretty amazing just because they have that current time. Also, right. the other thing you said about uh, is, is a good example, you know, the, the crew time, et cetera. That's, that's quite important. I think, though, it implies in his question that if he goes to a regional and he can apply to a major uh, right away, it depends on the regional uh, mm-hmm. because there are a lot of regionals where you can sit in the right seat for a long time. Something to oh, look sure. into. Uh, sure. Because if you're going to go – some regionals, gosh, you can upgrade to captain within a year. Uh, right. Other regionals uh, that might be it six, might be eight six years. seven, eight years. Yep, yeah. exactly. So it, it really – you have to look at that, and that's really, really important uh, because right now the regionals are highlighting like crazy. You can definitely get into one uh, with the hours you have 
probably i don't think i have a total time here but you know it's uh it's important to to look at the whole enchilada and see what's best for you if money is an issue too by the way it's it's nice to build that uh, time while you're making money so that's another part of that equation you have to look at yourself and say is this the best thing for me that's a very very important decision to make but i hope that's helped and uh, moving on let's go on to the next question here paul i know we're taking some time I, i really uh by the way, I don't like to gloss over any of these questions. It's really important. Your questions are really, really important. Uh, if you need really specific information, like uh, very personal information, we do that offline. Uh, I don't want to answer any of those type of things on on the podcast. Of course, you can sign up for the coaching sessions when we do that. Anyway, moving on. Uh, it says, hi, I love the podcast and can't seem to turn it off while I go through my day. All the hosts and guests seem to have a broad range of knowledge in both good and bad times in the ever-changing aviation industry. I'd like to get some advice to which regional to get a job at. Of course, provided I get job offers to all the ones I apply. Uh, this is a pretty interesting one. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's a, it's a real interesting question. I'm a 28 year old veteran and have about 700 hours total time, but I have a BS in aviation, which allows me to meet the restricted ATP minimums at a thousand hours. I'm a CFI, CFII, MEI, and I'm about to join a flight school. This will allow me to log about 80 hours a month. So my 1,000-hour mark will be fast approaching. I want to get a regional as soon as possible with the goal of getting to a major as soon as possible. Preferably Delta. Um, let's see. I'm married and have two kids, and my wife has a business here in town, but she can move anywhere in the country. She just has to build a client list wherever we move to. She's doing really well right now, so I don't want to uproot her if I don't have to. I think I've narrowed it down to ExpressJet and Envoy. Or endeavor, uh, given the goal of getting to a major ASAP as soon as possible in my personal situation with my family, what region would best fit my needs? Both expression and envoy will be easy to get to, and considering that I may move to Dallas, interesting, I can pretty much consider that as a living living in base. However, from what I can tell from the Internet, I have a long time on reserve as well as a very long wait to upgrade. Uh, endeavor would either require a commute, uh, which is, I believe is doable, but the pay is much better and the reserve and upgrade times are very low. Is that worth working for Endeavor instead of working in Dallas for the shorter commute? How much do the airlines have to have total PIC? Okay. Uh, apologize. My email is very open and scattered. I have been researching this as much as possible for a week and my brain is a little tired. Does being a veteran make my application look better? Should I even include it or do the airlines only care about aviation experience? Uh, thank you for everything you do, and keep up the good work. Uh, P.S. Just listened to your 99th episode and enjoyed hearing about your experience in Bozier City on Thanksgiving, as Bozier City, or Boss City, is at times called, is right across the river from Shreveport. This area is called SBC Shreveport Bozier City, for short. Yeah, Bozier City's awesome. Uh, by the way, if you're looking at past episodes, we don't have it set up this way, I just realized, in, in iTunes. Uh, we have many different uh, episodes out there with different people. Ask, someone asked me about a test pilot. We actually had one uh, back in the teens. Uh, you can look at the past episodes by going to aviationcareerspodcast.com and, and uh, clicking on past episodes. Uh, at, at, your points are valid as far as the ex, uh, ExpressJet Envoy. I love ExpressJet. Uh, I think it's a great place. I love Envoy. I love Endeavor. Uh, but you have to, and, and you've almost a- answered your own question, uh, looking at the commute and looking, looking at upgrade times. If, it, if the commute isn't that bad, I would go to the airline with the best upgrade times uh, and one that's growing. Uh, that's a real important thing. 
uh, it de- it really really depends on on what is what's your what's your limit what is what's going to make you hurt as far as commuting and sounds like uh, you your ability you have so many options right here just remember though one thing is that I know that when you get hired with an airline you think you're going to go to a certain base that isn't necessarily true it might take you a little while to get to that base uh you know you may wind up working in another base for a while so just add that to your equation uh, at the moment you get hired you may get lucky or unlucky and get based uh, somewhere you don't want to be so just just keep that in the consideration in the loop also another thing is that with the airlines say that aren't moving quickly up to captain uh, there is situations where people are going, getting their jet time, and then moving on to another regional uh, that is moving up to Captain quickly, getting their PIC uh, turbine uh, at another 121 operator and uh, building their total time. For instance, they might build their time in a jet at one 121 and then build their total PIC time in a turboprop at another and uh, and then move on from there. So just take a peek at that. And I know that you have a lot of questions. That's kind of a, that's very specific, uh, which regional you want to go to. And that's something uh, we all need to consider. Uh, I did, you know, what's the best place for bases? Uh, I was able to live in Newark for free. Uh, I lived uh, in Houston and I lived in Salt Lake City. Uh, and I loved all those cities. Uh, but the ones that I spent the least amount of money were, was actually in uh, in the Newark area, and that's what I look at too. When I'm in my situation now, you know, I'm a, I'm basically a snowbird with my job, the reverse snowbird, as I've explained. I uh, go south in the summer and north in the winter, and it works out perfectly for me. Uh, and it's also a wonderful quality of life. So uh, hopefully, I've answered that question. I know, um, I'm Paul. I, I think you agree with most of what I said there. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that one. Excuse me, I agree with that. I I just think that when you're looking at at a regional. You know, I think everybody's goal is to move on to a major as quickly as possible. And um, I think the reality is that PIC time is still very important. There are people that move on without PIC time, as you mentioned. But the people that move on without PIC time generally have high total times. So they're spending much longer at a regional, and then they do get to move on without having sat in the left seat. But you're talking, you know, maybe six, 7,000 hours, five, six, seven, even higher, um, total time before, and then moving on to the, to the majors. So if you can move to, if you can get to a, a regional that is upgrading on the quicker side and, you know, that stuff is always subject to change. We all know that, but, uh, you know, you do the best you can pick, pick an airline that's, that you think is, good for all the other reasons, your quality of life reasons, like we've talked about in previous episodes, um, you know, and, and try and pick a place where you're going to have a, a quick uh, or as quick as possible career progression upwards so that you can get into that left seat, build PIC time and move on. I think that's the, I think that's the best bet. And that's sort of general. Like you said, he is asking pretty, pretty pointed questions about specific airlines that I don't know if we want to go into that now, but uh, you know, I think, generally i think you know if you follow the advice that we give i think it's pretty pretty sound yeah and and, and on all specific airlines there's there's a lot of information like you said on the internet and things do right. change you could have a contract signed tomorrow exactly uh, that changes that whole ball game 
Right. Uh, so really, you got to watch watch the news quite a bit also and say to yourself, how is this going to affect me? Another point that you brought up, Paul, and I think this is something that kind of was alluded to in this question. Some people have that question is, uh, you know, I see people moving on to the majors in three, 4,000 hours. Well, if you're one of those people that got, say, all PIC time, you only have a few hundred hours of, of second-in-command, et cetera, then, yeah, you you'll might get to a major at that point with three to 4,000 hours. But you got to remember, if you've been sitting in the right seat, eh, it's a little bit tougher uh, to convince someone, hey, I have no PIC time. I've been a first officer, you know, and I have, I, I need, they, they're looking at more hours, just like you said. Uh, don't expect to, to go to a major with 2,000 hours of, of second in command turbine time. Uh, you're probably not going to get there unless, now with all that said, it all depends on who you know, too. Um, I've seen it happen, but uh, you need to really know somebody in the chief pilot's office. So anyway, <laughs> thanks for that question. I, I thought that was awesome. Bossier City, I'm, I love that place, and uh, and I love uh, hanging out in the in Shreveport and uh, the military area. It's just just a wonderful people, a wonderful time. Hey, you know, one more thing, real quick, with him. He mentions towards the bottom there that he's not sure about um, mentioning the fact that he's a veteran because it was a he was in a non aviation. Uh, you know, position that is so incredibly important. And thanks for your service, by the way. Um, you know, we really, really support um our veterans, and and we appreciate all you do for us. But um, yeah, that you need to you need to put that on your resume. You need to go out there. In fact, there's there's job fairs that are for certain airlines that are very that only veterans can go to. Um, you know, it shows the commitment. It shows who uh. I think who you are as a person, um, and uh, and I don't think it matters completely. You know, sure, if you were if you were flying a fighter jet or something or some big heavy airplane in the military, yeah, that might help you get into the majors or legacies quicker because you have aviation experience. That to, you know that total time that we talked about, but um, it will absolutely, without a doubt, one hundred percent separate you from the crowd. And, uh, and you need to, you need to, you know, flaunt that for lack of a better word. And there's, there's also initiatives through our government too, to that incentivize, uh, everybody to hire veterans. Uh, so remember that those programs that are out there also. So that, that is something you most definitely want to put on your resume. Uh, also remember this, uh, on your resume as a general, uh, rule of thumb, make sure you put things outside of aviation and put your military service. You will, have somebody probably at the interview that you will be able to connect with and uh, and that starts a conversation and and of course who do you want to hire your fellow veteran so uh, or the the person that has the same interests that you do so that's really really important to put that down so don't forget to do that I'm glad you brought that up I totally forgot to do that thanks Paul yeah no um, awesome awesome so uh, yes again thanks for your service and put that on your resume and your application most definitely um, let's see let's move on to another one here uh, let's see oh this is a good question and it's going to be interesting because you're going to think I'm not going to answer this question, but I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, he goes like this. It is a very, very difficult question to ask, and we need a, a few attorneys in the room, and they'd all disagree on on uh, in the answer to this one. <laughs> uh, but here we go. And I've, I've spoken with a lot of the guys at the FAA and the NTSB and all over about this, uh, this question he's, he's asked. So here's my answer. Here's the question first. After a long absence, I am taking daily steps to get back flying. Great advice for everyone. When I first started in aviation, I was very lucky. After completing my commercial and IFR, 
I began work at a small oil and gas company where I was able to get 700 hours multi-time, mostly on Cessna 310 and Piper and Navajo. However, I also obtained approximately 200 hours of right-seat King Air time, not to mention the BAE 31 type rating it in the a huge 15 hours of flight time before the company closed the flight department, which was the reason I left aviation in 2008, 2009. Remember those days well. That was a very, very tough time in aviation. I can understand why you left. The question I have is one that I think would be very helpful for many of your listeners. The question is this. How do you log right seat time legally, and that will apply to your ATP time on non-type rated aircraft? So how do you log right seat time on non-type rated aircraft? Is it SIC? Is it dual? Is it PIC? If you are the sole manipulator of the controls, is it a combination of time? Can you log it all? I seem to get and different answers to this question, many different answers to this question. And I don't want to set myself up for failure by assuming those hours are valid. Thank you in advance for your huge show. Your show is excellent in providing a huge service to this industry. Keep it up. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Um, as far as the answer to your question, uh, yes. <laughs> and and you, and you can log all the time that you fly in an airplane. Uh, the one most important thing is that remember that I'm going to see your logbook. And when I'm doing an interview, I'm going to see that you have a certain amount of time in a certain airplane. I'm going to ask you about that airplane and that time. And if if you're telling me that you basically were not the pilot in command, you were fly, flying right seat, say, in a 182 and you were doing, uh, this happens a lot with aerial observations, and you log all that time as pilot in command, uh, be careful. Uh, there's There's been a lot written about this on the Internet. I'll try to get the link to it and put it in the show notes. AOPA did a great job of discussing what you can log and if you can log it. Yes, you can. Uh, you just got to be careful because some of the time that you log in your logbook may not be eligible for you to use towards your ATP time. Uh, so I think what you're asking is if you're in a 172, a non-type rated aircraft, uh, can you log that as uh, as PIC time? That really, really depends on the operation. It also depends on who you are. Are you a flight instructor? Uh, are you blogging it as dual? You know, really, that that it's a very open-ended question, so it has to be very specific to to the operation. If you're sitting there in the right seat, uh, you're the sole manipulator of the controls, and you're the one flying. Yeah, sure. It doesn't matter what seat you're in. Uh, but if you're a second-in-command of an aircraft, uh, like a like a 182, and it's not necessary for that operation, then, gosh, you know, you, I, would, I would watch trying to, to log that time. I'm looking at it from a not just an, an ability to put it towards your total time for your rating, but also looking at it towards getting hired in the future. So be uh, be quite careful there. I mean, I've uh, I've been down that road with guys in the past so that three people are logging PIC time in the airplane in a seminal, and uh, you got to be really really careful about that. Um, there's been uh, and it depends on the FBO. If you think there's a, you're crossing a line, you probably are. Uh, so um, make sure that. You know, if you're not flying, it's you're not logging the time. Someone else is flying, they're logging the time. Obviously, if they're under the hood, I know I'm going to get all these questions and people saying, oh, no, I'm logging it uh, because I'm safety pilot or I can log that time. Yep, you can. Um, but, again, you can log whatever you want in a logbook. Uh, just be careful. Uh, when you do go for your rating, 
uh, that you know we've seen this happen in the past where they've actually taken away ratings because they didn't log it properly. So so make sure you look into that. I'll try to get the link to that article about it. Um, but, uh, but, you know, the higher up say, yes, uh, are you using it for the purposes of a, of an issuance of a further rating? It depends on then what you're doing and, and how you're flying. So there's a lot more to, that we have to flesh out in this question. All right. Two caveats there too, though, with the, uh, like with the safety pilot situation, you can log the time, you can't log the takeoff and the landing if you're not actually doing the takeoff and the landing. So yet, you know, you can be the safety pilot. You have to be appropriately rated in the category and class of the aircraft. So if you're a single engine only pilot, you can't be, um, a safety pilot in a twin engine airplane. Right. So that's one thing there that's pretty important. And like I said, you can only log the time where the person is under the hood. So that's, that's the other caveat there. And then another example I can give is, <coughs> excuse me, cause it happened to me. Um, I was able to log SIC time and I verified this with two different FISDOs cause I didn't think I could log it. Um, I worked for a 135 operator and before I, when I first started, I, I was an SIC. I was list, I was, uh, I took an SIC check ride and I logged SIC time in an airplane that was, uh, not, uh, two, uh, that was not certificated to be a two pilot aircraft. It was a, uh, certificated to be a single pilot, op, uh, aircraft. The reason why I was able to log SIC time was because in the op spec for the operation, the aircraft required two pilots under certain situations. One was low visibility takeoffs. You needed, if you were going to have a, if you were going to do a reduced visibility takeoff, you needed two pilots. The other op spec that required two pilots was the op spec that said that uh, um, you need to have an SIC in lieu of an autopilot. So the uh, the the POI um, for the certificate said that not only I was required to log the time as SIC. So um, when I operated, now I could log the time as PIC uh, when I wasn't flying, uh, you know, when, when I was not flying a 135 leg. So if we brought a customer out from point A to point B, that was a 135 leg. I logged it as SIC time, but when it was point B to point A, after the customer had been dropped off, that time was PIC time. So again, going back to what we were talking about, it all depends on the operation. And that was exactly a great point that you made there. It depends on your operation. Notice what you just said. There's one leg where you could, one leg where you couldn't log the time. So so make sure that that uh, what you do is is the proper logging of time and there's lots of different things out there and articles that have been written on this. Uh there's other there's other situations out there too. You need to take your specific situation and if you have a question you send it into st- to us or send it into you send to the, the FAA FISDO and ask yeah. the FISDO. The problem with the FISDO is it all depends certain rules are well I, I, you know, they, they interpreted different FISDOs and it all depends on where you are. The same thing with your op specs and, and you have to talk to your, your principal operating inspector, your POI and ask them, uh, the question, uh, and, and go from there. Some of it's uh, gray, but most of it's black and white. It, it's just, it's black and white for your situation. And yeah, it's very, very situational specific. Absolutely. So it's clear as mud is what, what we're trying <laughs> to say. There's certain things that are real simple, you know, flying in an airplane by yourself. 
Uh, but uh, there's also things that are, are more complex. Are so you flying an airplane with an instructor? Uh, you know, those type of things and, and what's going on there. So it goes from there. And also, how about your operation? You know, what type of operation do you have? So um, that's what we're going to leave it at Personal. that. I mean, it's yeah, a great question. question. Uh, it's, it's somewhat helpful, the answer, but it's one of those questions that um, – it all depends, and you have to really look at it. So can't uh, really give a good, clear answer. Well, no, and, and I think we, I think this was helpful. Uh, our answer here. I just think that what we need to do is look at specifically what what you're asking about and the situation, yeah. and, and research it. And my advice is to always research the situation you're in. Ask around. Ask the FAA. And if it's a very specific yeah. question. Send it to us and we'll answer it. But uh, that that's important to find out that answer. Yeah, don't be afraid to call your FISDOs. Um, you know, I, I do that. I've done that a, a, a bunch of times uh, looking for advice when, you know, if you want clarification on a regulation, as an example, if you're not 100% sure of uh, are you interpreting a regulation uh, the way that you're supposed to be, call it, call the FISDO and, uh, and, and ask one of the one of the inspectors. They're happy to answer the question. In fact, I've been complimented several times for for calling um, because I I don't think that they get a lot of phone calls for that stuff. No, but you know people are maybe uh, kind of want to stay out of it because it's the FAA and they don't they think they're going to maybe incriminate themselves or something. You're not. I mean, you're asking a question because you're trying to do the right thing, and they know that, and they're going to give you their best answer. But just know that if it's a question like this this question was where there's it's it's not black and white and and the waters are, are are muddied you could call five different fizzdos and get five different answers but you can only get you know you know you can only do what you can do and i think if you if you do your due diligence and you call a fizzdo and you get um you get their advice i, I think you're okay to go with that Right, right. And, and again, this is something that, you know, we've done in the past with logging time and, and, uh, you know, we had a person ask, Hey, can I bring my family on the long cross country? And it's, it's supposed right. to be solo. You no, know, you're supposed to be by yourself. And of course, someone else uh, corrected us, said, no, an instructor can come along. Well, that's, yeah. that wasn't specifically what that person was asking. Right. Yeah. You can bring your instructor. Right. So, yeah. so it, again, it goes back to your specific operations. So I, I, I really want to drive that home. It all depends. Uh, there's simple and there's complex. I think they may, who knows, in the future might, well, now FA's not going to do that. I was going to say they're clarified things, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> They'll <laughs> not clarify it into darker, muddy yeah, waters. Into darker, muddy waters. As a matter of fact, that speaking of that, uh, one of these days, and I want to know what people think about this, so write in and ask me, or, or tell me, I should say, what you think of an episode talking about FAR 117 and uh, the flight rules for Part 121 carriers. Uh, there's some th- interesting things about it. That, those are the uh, rest rules for people are, that don't right, know that's, what that's, that is. Thank you, Paul. It's, it's all rest rules. I mean, it's it's uh, it's complex. Uh, it's complex. hard to to track. As a matter of fact, I went over my hours, or I was going to go over my hours and was taken off a trip uh, and or part of a trip. But what's interesting is I'll get questions like, hey, you know, is how many hours can I fly? It's uh, normally 16, but uh, it can actually be up to 18. I'm going to get a lot of feedback on that, on what I just said. So uh, so people are going to say, no, you can't. Well, I'll show you there's a way that you can go up to 18 hours, and uh, and there's a lot. And that one there, I just wanted to – as a matter of fact, I'm just going to do an episode and, and mention that and give you the, the background on that one. How can you fly 18 hours, 121, on a, 
uh, FAR one seventeen. There's a there's a fun one to research. Yeah, that's so. a good one. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give it away now. So go ahead and research that one. And we'll, <laughs> I want to get some feedback from people. Uh, anyway, the uh, the next thing, <laughs> next question we have here, and I think we have to, yeah we have time for another question here. Uh, it says, "Hi there, I've been listening to your podcast for long, too long to remember now. It's always been enjoyable to hear what you have to say. It's about aviation, so it's not possible to be boring. I like the attitude. That's awesome." <laughs> Here in Australia, I'm really struggling to get my aviation career off the ground, pun intended. I have uh, multiple jobs as a flight instructor and have also carried out some charter slash scenic work. Sadly, the jobs never last, and I end up back working casual jobs. I'm married, and we have a one-year-old boy, so moving around is more challenging than if it was my only, only myself to worry about, let alone financially support, of course. I've tried looking at an FAA website to find out what is involved to convert my Australian commercial pilot license to an American one. I also hold a New Zealand commercial pilot license as that is where I carried out my training. From listening to the podcast, it sounds like there's, there are more jobs that need to be filled in the USA. Is this really the case? Uh, my wife and I have some friends in California and we really wish we lived closer to them. Thanks in advance and keep up the great work. Uh, oh, by the way, he says I also hold a New Zealand uh, basics, so uh, no type ratings attached to that. Uh, so whether that opens up for other opportunities flying, he's not sure. Uh, interesting that you bring this up. I, I do get a lot of uh, emails from people in Australia. Actually, this is what's really funny. Can I? Yeah, I can tell something funny. I get more emails about soccer than I do, or or football, uh, Australian football, than I do about aviation in Australia. There's a there's a there's a person in Australia named Carl Valeri. Uh, who were distant relatives, who's a really good soccer player. And one day I'm going to be as skinny as he is, by the way, because, you know, as you know, in the last episode, we talked about losing weight. And yes, I've lost about three pounds since then. So uh, I'm getting there. I'm working on it. And uh, what, and I know I'm You're going doing off a great job. Thanks. Thanks. I'm going off a little bit of a tangent. But the uh, as far as the jobs are here, yeah, there's a whole bunch of jobs here. And uh, are we really struggling to find people to fill the seats? Of course we are. Is there a shortage? Yes. But the shortage is mainly amongst the uh the regional airlines i'm allowed to call it a shortage i think now i mean years ago when i said we had a, a lack of qualified pilots then it was the same thing as a shortage now people are, are willing to accept the fact that there is even the majors are looking at it they're going to have a tough time remember though that that can always change all we need is a very big recession or even a small recession to slow things down and and hiring will just will come to a stop and uh, and things might change a little bit, but that can happen. It can happen any time. So you try to predict the future. Uh, I will want to see your crystal ball and compare it to mine, and uh, <laughs> I make it both bet they're both wrong. Um, getting over to the, the question though is, is bringing it to the U.S. I had a website, and I'm trying to remember it, but there's there's a lot of cool companies out there that assist you in getting your license here in the U.S. Uh, actually, had someone on the on the podcast who did the opposite, went down to Australia, and and by the way. Uh, he, I was just talking to him today, and he said that, listen, it is so difficult to get your license in Australia compared to the U.S. I mean, there's, there is a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of testing involved. It's, it's a lot different uh, down, down under than it is here, he said. And uh, it's been – as a matter of fact, he's heading to Melbourne uh, in another week or so, two weeks, and he's going to go down there and just straighten some things out and work on some other ratings down there. Really cool place to fly. Uh, yes, aviation's a lot different here. The growth is for many reasons. We can get into that. I'm not going to talk about it in this episode because there's there's so many reasons why. Uh, but it is it's a different it's a different environment, and the growth has been incredible. Uh, the costs of flying are still 
very inexpensive, uh, even more inexpensive now for the traveling public. Remember, I'm trying to say for the traveling public, not for us getting our ratings. Uh, it, it is. It's, it's so much less money. I will put a link out on the website to this one school I'm going to point you towards. Uh, I'm not going to mention the school name because I can't remember it right now, and uh, but I'll have it in the show notes. And they do a great job of helping people. There's many different uh, schools out there, but there's also the FA that you can go to, and they're wonderful people. Uh, to, uh, by the way, the website, that's cool that you did that, uh, but the best thing to do is call the FISDO and say, hey, how do I transfer my, my Australian commercial pilot license? to a U.S. pilot certificate, and they'll, uh, they'll tell you. They'll say, this is what you need to do. Uh, and uh, it's, not that, it's not that bad of a process, really, um, from, from the people I know that have done it. It's uh, just a few hoops to jump through, uh, but you can do that. As far as working here, that's a different story, uh, but, you, uh, but you can work that out, too. It's, uh, it's doable. It is doable in the future. Um, I would, as far as moving to the U.S., that's a big decision you're making there. Uh, that's a whole other ball game. Uh, going somewhere for jobs. You know, I know I have friends that moved overseas, uh, from the U.S. to, to different places within, you know, like Jordan, uh, and, uh, Emirates, uh, China, et cetera. And they really missed home. Sounds like you have family there. So this might, that might really work out. So, uh, good question. Uh, I will put the link out there, but I would very highly encourage you to, uh, I, Go and talk to the FISDO. Give them a call. They're wonderful people, real friendly people, just like Paul said. Let's see, Paul. Where are we? Oh, my gosh. You know what? We're we getting are, close. I think we're getting really close. I tell you what. Let's do one more. Let's try to do one more question here. Um, the um, This is a good one because uh, I've, I've done this one quite a bit. Um, the next question says, in a few months, I'll be a CFI and was wondering if you could de- delve into two specific topics. Number one. When should a CFI be a contractor versus employee? Number two, when should a CFI buy insurance? What type of insurance options, etc.? I listen to your podcast religiously as it provides motivation for me during my drive to the flight school. Thanks again. When should CFI be a contractor versus an employee? That really depends uh, on what you want to do. And uh, if you want to own your own business, work for yourself, uh, be a contractor. It's cool. I've done it. Uh, my first job, though, flying as a flight instructor was an employee of a flight school, and the reason being is that I got insurance through that flight school, and it was uh, it was a pretty darn good deal. I mean, that uh, I got health insurance, uh, got vacation, paid vacation, all sorts of cool stuff. And people are are listening right now, saying, "What are you crazy? <laughs> I've never never heard of all those options. They're out there. There there's schools out there. Uh, it might be tougher to find, but they, they are definitely out there. What type of insurance should you buy? Lots of it. And uh, see a flight instructor insurance, yes. Uh, but you also have to look at who you're operating for and and understand their insurance. If you want to buy flight instructor insurance, I I suggest you know uh, there's Victoria Newell who's on on the Stuck Mike Avcast. She's an insurance salesperson and wants to uh, help you and help everybody find insurance. And they do have flight instructor insurance, and they can actually tell you those things. I'm not an insurance expert, but you definitely need insurance. I uh, I have different types of insurance, both instructor insurance and also other types of insurance uh, that protect me outside the CFI realm. So you really really need to to look at that. But CFI insurance, buy it. It's not that expensive because uh, you might wind up instructing somebody in their airplane outside of work, 
And, uh, and that's really, really important. Uh, actually, uh, Paul, did you want to add anything to that one as far as contractor, employee, what type of insurance? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think, you know, contractor versus employee, you know, just keep in mind that I think as a contractor, maybe it takes a little bit of time to, uh, you know, build up clientele and get some flying. And I think, you know, what's your motivation for being a CFI? Are you trying to get to the airline or, you, or do you want to be a career CFI? And if you want to be a career CFI, being a, being a, uh, a contractor is, is really nice because you, you keep all the money. You're not, you're not giving it to, a um, to the flight school. So that's kind of, that's kind of neat. Um, but if your motivation is to, um, you know, get 1500 hours and go to the airline, you might want to consider being an employee of a flight school because they have a clientele and you're just going to walk in, you're going to sit down and you're going to start flying your tail off. And so that's kind of cool. Or you could do both. You can do, you know, you can maybe, um, sort of moonlight on the side and, um, and as you build up your clientele of, of, uh, you know, people um you know you can you can be flying for some uh another flight school so there's all kinds of things you can do and um in terms of the assurance yeah i'm not really super qualified to talk about that i just know that you know you should have it i, I when i when i used to teach i had uh cfi insurance i think i went through aopa maybe at the time i, I went to their website and that directed me somewhere if i remember correctly it's been a little while i don't remember exactly what i did but it's a good idea to have insurance it's out there it's definitely out it's there. A, it's out there i mean you know if it, like you said if you're <clears throat> if carl like carl said if you're teaching in somebody's airplane and they you know uh, they go off the you know they land they land and they go off the runway and and they bend some metal um they're going to look at you because you're the cfi and you're going to be responsible um, and so you need to protect yourself. So, so again, if you there's a real good one here. It's at air-pros.com, and it does tell a little bit about the the type of insurance you should get. So check that out there. Uh, as far as uh, and they they're really cool about sitting there talking to you. They're also one of the few companies that does uh, UAS and UAV coverage. So they have all sorts of, I have to mention that because, because my friend Victoria works there, but also not just because of that, but he, she has, uh, they do some unique insurance there and they are willing to take time to talk to you. So make sure you contact them. Uh, and, uh, that leads me into the next question. Hopefully, Paul, you have time. Just one more question here. Sure. Uh, and the reason being is because I did allude to this in the beginning and I just realized I do have to mention this one. Okay. It says, um, CFI and former ATP, zero to hero. I like that. Uh, says, hey, Carl, huge fan of the podcast. Not only do I listen to it in the car all the time, but when I was in flight school, my roommates and I would gather around the computer and listen together. I'm a 26-year-old CFI, MEI, CFII, currently working for two companies, and uh, one of which is flying unique and vintage airplanes for a YouTube channel. Dream job. That really is a dream job. That is totally yeah, cool. Is. Uh, right now, the company that I have been working for is also diving health, hev heavily into the new FAA regulations for UAV pilots. I wanted to mention this so you, that your listeners know there are tons of side jobs available in the UAV industry. Uh, most of the unmanned aircraft, the UAVs, uh, operators have zero knowledge of airspace rules, radio communications, or right-of-way rules. So they need pilots to teach them. This could be online, through forums, or websites, in person. It's a great way to make a bit of money on the side while working on ratings 
or instructing. I think that's really cool. Also, I notice a lot of people that write in on your show are looking into ATP or other fast-track programs, and they're talking about ATP, the company. I went from zero hours to fully certified CFI in eight months, so if you ever needed to send anyone with a specific questions or talk to about the experience on the podcast, let me know. Thanks for everything you do. As a matter of fact, we're going to take you up on that. If you want to come on and talk a little bit about uh, ATP, it's uh, I would love to have you. I'd love to get that perspective because, uh, especially if you're not working there anymore, it's uh, you know we invite them onto the show. They can come on and talk about that. Uh, it is uh, it's a great way to move from point A to point B. Uh, as a matter of fact, at the airline that I work for, the number one pilot when he retires. Uh, he actually went to all ATPs and finished up his ratings. The other thing I wanted to talk about, you talked about unmanned aircrafts. Unmanned aircraft uh, are is the, is the wave of the future also. I also wanted to say we have coming up in an episode, we're going to talk to somebody about commercial UAV and how you can actually be a pilot and have a business as a commercial UAV operator. And uh, this person does a lot of lecturing. Uh, he's involved in a college program with UAV, and he's uh, he's actually been on the, the podcast before, but there's a bunch of new rules that have come out for commercial UAV flying. He explains it. He also explains a little bit about the jobs or a lot about the jobs and the opportunities. You're right. There's a lot out there. There's going to be even more in the future, and we need people to get into unmanned aircraft systems and UAVs in the future. It's 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 amazing what they can do. I personally love watching, especially the f- the photographs using UAVs, but as we know, any in the future, we're going to see them used in many different uh, formats for security, uh, for surveillance, for real estate, and also for helping people get to safety and uh, and finding people in the woods and and delivering supplies to people that we can't get to, and uh, it's it's really it's so exciting to me this whole whole concept of UAVs. Anything in in aviation and aerospace is exciting. So we're going to have them coming up in an episode. I wanted to mention that. Uh, so that's a, a little teaser coming up in the future. Uh, well, Paul, I tell you what, um, we that's it. That's it for the questions. Yeah, we did good. Uh, we did really good on these. Um, <laughs> Got them all done. Yes, and I, I think that, and again, you can always write in. We'll talk about those questions here on the podcast. I Obviously, as you can tell with a lot of questions, we can't get too specific about things. We're willing to talk more about flight schools, et cetera, more than we were in the past and different airlines. Uh, but if you're interested and you want to talk to somebody, you can talk to one of our many coaches, career coaches here. Uh, we keep adding to the directory of folks that we use for career coaching. Some of them that are not on the podcast. They don't really want to be on the podcast, and that's cool. They just want to help out. Uh, and I, I like that. I appreciate what they're doing, especially uh, they want to help out with interviews at specific airlines, but they uh, they, they don't want to be uh, associated with being online. They don't want to talk on the radio. That's cool. I, I think it's awesome that they're wanting to do that. They want to help you, and we want to help you move forward in your career. Remember, we do uh, the interview preparation. Uh, we, we give you uh, feedback and feedback that we uh, that you probably won't get anywhere else. Uh, and, uh, and it really is helpful. I mean, I, I tell you, I actually practiced myself with somebody and in front of a mirror and recorded it. And it really was helpful for, for my interview. We also look at your resume and a big thing that we do is we help you make a decision. 
uh, and uh, and an unbiased decision. And we look at it's a holistic approach. We look at you, your family, your situation, and we help you move forward. Uh, you know, Paul helps us with doing some some uh, coaching and some interview prep. You've done in the past; it's been very successful. Um, a couple other people, I won't mention their names, uh, but they've actually helped out too. And uh, and I have Tom Wachowski has Eric Crump has Ryan Wallace has it's 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 wonderful what we're we're doing here and uh, and we need to keep moving forward with that and keeping moving forward with your career that's what's important you the listener uh, this this is for you this show is for you this is a lot of fun for me to put together I know Paul has a great time don't you Paul isn't this oh awesome? I love it it's it's so much fun yeah I, you know I texted Paul today I said dude I'm I'm doing a I'm doing a, a coaching session and this is just so much fun uh, helping people and answering questions and helping people move forward in their career. Uh, no matter what it is, I have a lot of experience in doing consulting work with different uh, companies, Fortune 100 companies, and uh, and it was a blast doing that. This is so different. Uh, it, a lot of you folks are starting your careers, your mid-career, career change, no matter what it is. Uh, the most important thing, though, is is just to keep moving forward uh, and, uh, and moving forward whatever you do in your life and your career. And look at your whole situation. Look at your life and, and say to yourself, am I going in the right direction? Do I need help? How do I get that help? You can get a lot of help just by listening to this. And I encourage you to write in your questions. Go to feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Well, as I always say at the end of the podcast, I want you to do something today. I want you to do something that will move you forward in your career. Take that one step. It might be one small step. It might be a huge leap. But do something now, whether it's researching, whether you can get your commercial pilot license here in the U.S., whether it's researching the rules to see if you actually can go out and log the time in the aircraft or your specific airline. Start doing that right now. Go out there, jump on your computer, make a phone call, find out more information, do something, call your spouse and ask them, call your family member, get some advice, and of course you can get advice from us, but do something today. Folks, we'll talk to you next episode. It's been wonderful being able to answer your questions. Make sure you go out there, fly safe, but most importantly, enjoy the ride. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved. <laughs>